Welcome back to State and Local Government. This is Mark Johnson from M State Moorhead. The first issue to understand when talking about state courts is the difference between courts of original jurisdiction and courts of appellate jurisdiction. Only the first type of court can issue what are called findings of fact. The second type of court is limited to what are called findings of law. So if you've ever had any first-hand dealings with the courts, it was probably a court of original jurisdiction, in other words, a trial court. In this part of the country, uh, general trial courts are usually called district court or county court. So if you sue somebody, uh, or you are sued, or you're charged with a state crime, most crimes, remember, are state crimes. Um, there aren't that many federal crimes, wire fraud, mail fraud, drug smuggling, kidnapping across state lines, but for most crimes are state crimes. You would then go to a court in the local county courthouse with a trial judge who only handles cases within a certain limited, limited geographic area. In states with county courts, the judges rarely travel outside their home counties. Uh, in states with district courts, like North Dakota, the judges might travel within a maybe five, six, or seven county area, but usually not bigger than that. Minnesota's um, got this interesting system. They divide their state into tender district court, district court regions, but then each judge usually only hears cases in his or her home, home county. Occasionally, if there's a really heavy course load or docket, they might move a judge to the neighboring county. But we, in pretty much both of these cases, you're dealing with a, a, a local judge either in his home county or maybe a, you know, within a small district encompassing a couple of different counties. The job of the trial court is to issue a finding of fact. In other words, first it said, what happened? Does the evidence show that the accused indeed robbed the liquor store? Or the defendant, if it's a civil case, was negligent in not shoveling a sidewalk, therefore causing someone to slip and fall and break their arm. Uh, so they first have to decide what happened. In most criminal cases, the standard for finding someone is beyond a reasonable doubt. In other words, the prosecution, which represents the state, they must prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the accused did in fact commit the crime. In most civil cases, lawsuits, the standard is actually quite a bit lower. It's usually preponderance of the evidence. In other words, the plaintiff, the accuser, must show that the majority of the evidence indicates that the defendant, the person being sued, did something that was negligent or slanderous or libelous or in some other way is responsible or liable for the injury. So if you remember, if any of you have heard of the O.J. Simpson case from the early 90s, O.J. Simpson was found not guilty of murder. He had a criminal murder case. He was found not guilty of murder in 1995. But then just a couple of months later, he was found negligent for wrongful death in a civil case. That's because the standard of proof in the criminal case was a lot higher. Therefore, it was a lot tougher to prove. So after the trial court has issued its finding, commonly called a verdict, the losing party might decide to try and appeal the ruling. So this is where courts of appellate jurisdiction come in. These are intermediate level appellate courts, usually called courts of appeals or circuit courts. We'll be careful with the, with the lingo here. Some states call their trial level courts the circuit courts. Uh, so just be, be aware of that. Or they might call them the appellate division courts. They go by different names. But these are um, these intermediate, intermediate level appeal courts. Most states have some version of this, although there are a couple of rural states um, that have so few appeals, they find it unnecessary to actually have one of these. Uh, one of the outside resources, Ballotpedia, lists the states that don't have, a, 
have appellate level courts, North Dakota actually should be on that list. Uh, there is uh, in the state the possibility, in state law, there's a possibility of something called a state appellate court, but it's only been used a handful of times in history. Almost all appeals in North Dakota go directly to the state Supreme Court. A few states actually have two appellate courts, one for civil cases, one for criminal cases. And they get really confused in places like Texas and Oklahoma, where the Court of Criminal Appeals is the court of last resort for criminal cases, but decisions of the Court of Civil Appeals can go up to the next level of the state Supreme Court. So you have some states where there's um, some goofiness, and I, I, I gave some examples in the case studies to hopefully make this clear. Um, the purpose of appellate level courts is to make sure that the trial courts follow the law when they did their original jobs. This is a very important distinction. Only the trial court can issue a finding of fact that a person is actually guilty or innocent in a criminal case or liable or not in a civil case. All an appellate court is supposed to do is make sure that the trial court followed the law correctly. So, for example, let's say a criminal defendant is convicted based in part on evidence seized by the police from his car. Uh, the appellate court can look at the circumstances surrounding that search and seizure and make sure that the defendant's Fourth Amendment rights weren't violated. If the appellate court finds that the search was illegal, it can overturn the defendant's conviction and then order a new trial. Now, but that is, does not mean that the defendant is found innocent or even not guilty. All it means is the trial court judge made a mistake because they allowed that evidence to be admitted. What the appellate courts do is make sure that the trial courts are applying the law properly and as equally as possible in all cases. The appellate courts cannot just overturn findings of fact made by a trial court. Then in all states, there's a, a court of last resort, usually called the state Supreme Court, although there's a couple states that call this something different. As I mentioned above, a few states only have trial courts and a Supreme Court. There's no intermediate level appeals court. And a few others have a Supreme Court, which can only hear appeals of civil cases. Um, the purpose of Supreme Courts is to generally listen to appeals coming from those intermediate level courts. In other words, it's a second appeal, just to make sure the other two courts got it right. The big difference between intermediate appellate courts and Supreme Courts is that in most states, the intermediate appellate courts don't have a choice. They have to listen to all the appeals arising out of decisions coming from the lower trial courts. But the Supreme Court in most states has the right to refuse to hold a hearing on appeal. If you appeal the decision of a trial court, the, uh, the intermediate appeals court in almost every state, assuming there is one, they, has to, they have to give you a hearing, and they generally have to issue a decision. Now, they can issue something called a summary judgment, which is a fancy way of saying you have no case whatsoever, and therefore, we're not going to bother giving you the time, we're not going to waste time um, on your appeal or waste time with giving you a full hearing because you've got no case. That doesn't happen very often. Um, so in most cases, intermediate appeals courts, you're going to get a hearing. You're going to at least get a shot. If you want to appeal their decision to the state Supreme Court, first you have to file what's usually called a petition of certiorari, fancy Latin word that means petition for certification. And the Supreme Court can decide that your case is unique enough or important enough or somewhat strange enough to hold a hearing. So if they do, they issue what's called a writ of certiorari, a writ of certification, and then they give a hearing date. If that doesn't happen, well, then the final decision of the immediate appeals court stands and your case is over. If you've read the textbook and now these notes, you might have learned about how in some states, trial courts actually play both roles. So in states with large numbers of municipal, and municipal is just a fancy word that means city, or maybe they have a lot of limited jurisdiction courts, which, which I talk about a little bit later here, uh, it's very possible that a county or district court might serve in the role of appellate court 
when looking at lower court rulings. So this is complicated. There are some southern states, and I gave it, I give an example in the sample of Alabama in the sample case studies for this week. Um, there exists both county courts and some sort of trial level state court, district courts, or sometimes called circuit courts, which is what Alabama calls them. So in, in those situations, the county courts usually have limited jurisdiction over lower level felonies, maybe only misdemeanors, and maybe civil suits involving small amounts of money. Now, I'm not talking about small claims, which I'm going to describe in a little bit here in terms of limited jurisdiction courts, but maybe it's a civil suit for a couple hundred thousand dollars. And that's different from these million dollar plus cases that you might hear about or see portrayed on television. In some of these states, there are two there, there are two different original jurisdiction systems. Each, and one deals with one types of cases, and then the other one deals with other types of cases. And then in some, the state court might actually have some sort of limited appellate jurisdiction over the decisions of the county or local court. So I have an example here locally um, from the Fargo-Moorhead area. So if you are, have a case in Fargo Municipal Court, that's city court, mostly Fargo Municipal Court deals with things like um, traffic stops, uh, parking tickets, loose dogs, loud parties, that sort of thing. So let's say you're convicted in Fargo Municipal Court and you want to appeal. Where do you go? You actually can go to the Southeast District Court. That's the state trial court, the J state trial court that includes Cass County. And then the district judge will actually we hear the case. So in some states like North Dakota, the district court is basically just retrying the case at the request of the losing party. So really all they're doing is they're just they're merely serving as a second trial court. In other states, the district or county court is actually serving as like an extra appellate court. And they're only looking at the questions of law. They're actually really looking at, did the municipal court or the small claims court do the right thing? In either instance, these are both weird. They're a little, they're kind of exceptions. They're not really rules. And I don't want to really confuse you too much. I don't want you to worry too much about this. But just be aware when you're reading up for this week in your case studies that you might run into these weird situations where, um, you have these, you know, multiple appeals coming to different things. I thought that was a trial court. Why are they hearing appeals from family court? That's because it's a state with an unusual type of situation. In the vast majority of situations, the county or district court is the is the court of original jurisdiction. They're the court of fact, and that's their job. Um, you might also notice in some of the outside readings that sometimes the appellate and Supreme Courts play dual roles. Um, the book mentions that the U.S. Constitution gave the U.S. Supreme Court some specific original jurisdiction authority over a couple of issues, things like cases involving foreign ambassadors or cases between two states. What this means is those particular cases, the Supreme Court is serving as the trial court, and therefore there's no appeals. Something similar does happen in the states. I'm going to use a couple examples from just the last year or so uh, in North Dakota. The North Dakota State Supreme Court has original jurisdiction in a certain type, in a couple of different types of cases, anything involving elections, or anything involving a dispute between the executive and the legislative branch. So in 2020, the court actually heard four cases on those issues. Two of them involved the qualifications of candidates for office. One involved the wording of an initiated constitutional amendment, which was supposed to go on the ballot, and the state Supreme Court said, no, it's not worded correctly. You can't put that on the ballot. And then there was a final one after the election where the governor claimed, I can appoint a legislator to a vacant seat well, that's a, that's a fight between legislative and executive branches, right, over who has power. And the state Supreme Court said, we're going to decide that. There was no trial court. It, it went straight to the Supreme Court for a hearing, and they made the final decision. So in those instances, there's no trial court. There's no trial in the district or county courts. The dispute goes straight to this court of, this court of final appeals. It goes straight to an appellate court.
but again, somewhat rare and not very, it's not, it, it, many states have this, but there's not very many cases. The fact that North Dakota had four of them in a year is considered, uh, in my memory of having studied North Dakota politics for 20 years plus, I can't ever remember a year when we had more than one of these, and many years we have none of them. So that's pretty unusual. As mentioned earlier, most civil and criminal cases start off in the general trial courts. However, most states have specialized courts, which deal with some very limited types of cases. For example, if you sue somebody over a bounced check, because they, they wrote you a $100 check for your used couch, and they bounced, and it bounced, are you going to hire a lawyer at $150 an hour to sue in district court? Of course not. Instead, what you're going to do, you might pay a $10 filing fee in small claims court and then represent yourself. So um, another example is speeding and parking tickets. In rural areas of Minnesota and North Dakota, you'd probably have to go to a regular district or county court to contest a speeding ticket because there's no other local court to handle this. But if you get a speeding ticket or parking ticket here in Fargo, I mentioned before this, this thing called municipal court, they deal with very limited types of offenses and it's all local ordinances. So it's things like, again, like I mentioned, loud parties, loose dogs, um, speeding, but only under a certain dollar amount, parking, that sort of thing. Several of the outside resources in the book talk about limited jurisdiction or special jurisdiction courts, local courts, problem-solving courts, things like probate, probate as wills and, and uh, estates, family laws, divorce, um, custody, small claims, again, suing somebody you know for a $150 bounce check, um, juvenile, some states have a separate courts for juvenile justice. Again, these local municipal city courts, drug courts, those are all types of limited jurisdiction courts. They only have the authority over certain limited numbers of issues. Finally, I want to talk a little bit about how, how do judges get put in office in the first place? Methods of judicial selection, we call this. Well, there are three commonly used methods, which you usually find at the state level. So, one method, and it's only used in a couple of places, the governor gets to appoint the judge. There's a couple of states that also require the state senate or maybe the entire state legislature to approve those appointments. This is very similar to the procedure used for federal judges. The president nominates and the state and the U.S. Senate confirms. There's a couple of states that do that. Some states take the appointment out of the hands of the governor completely and they give it to the legislature. For example, Virginia does this for all state judges. Um, South Carolina and Rhode Island use this method for Supreme Court judges, where the legislature appoints them, and the governor. It's still an appointment, it's just not the governor, it's the legislature. Uh, another common method, and the one that's used here locally in both North Dakota and Minnesota, as well as a lot of other states, is the judges get elected by the people in competitive elections. At least that's the theory. Now, in reality, oftentimes these elections feature an incumbent and no one's running against them. Um, most of the Western states which elect judges do so nonpartisan. In other words, there's no party labels. They don't say this is the Republican candidate, this is the Democratic candidate. It's just this is this is the candidate, and if they're the opponent, this is the other candidate. You don't know, at least not hypothetically. You might have heard, oh, I heard that person, you know, gave money to Republicans back when they before they were a judge, or they were a former Democratic state legislator. Maybe you know that but they're not identified that way on the ballot. Now, there are several states, particularly in the southern and eastern states, which are still doing judicial elections with party labels. They actually put on the ballot Republican candidates, Democratic candidates, Libertarian candidates, etc., with party ID on the ballot. So 
The newest method, now this started in the 1940s, so maybe it's not new anymore, but it, it became very popular later in the 60s, is what we call the Missouri Plan or the Missouri System. Missouri was the first state to use this, surprise, surprise. Um, sometimes also called merit selection. So here's how this works. There's some sort of judicial nominating commission. And they're, those people are usually appointed. It, there's various ways in which they're appointed. Um, they're usually set up so that no one official dominates who sits. It's very common. The Speaker of the House, the President Pro Tem of the Senate, uh, the Governor, the Attorney General, maybe the State Bar Association, maybe the Chief Judge of the State of the U.S. of the State Supreme Court, or some combination. They either sit on it or they get to appoint a member or two each. So that spreads out the responsibility for selecting the membership. Well, the job of the commission is, is to serve as a search committee. They're basically the search committee for new judges when there's an opening. So the commission will do it. They'll look at resumes, they'll look at references, they might conduct interviews, and then they'll come up with some list of finalists. Many states use the number of three. They say you have to have three finalists. Some states might have a slightly different number. And then that list gets sent to the governor. Now, the purpose of the system is to basically take the politics out of the appointment process. At least that's what's supposed to happen. Right. Although it's not uncommon for the commission, if the majority of the members are affiliated with the governor's party, to give them at least one finalist that you know that the governor would be comfortable with politically. Now, these sorts of nominating commissions do exist in states that use the election method. Both, both Minnesota and North Dakota have them, and they're often used when a judge retires or dies or resigns before his term is up for election. The difference is that in the actual Missouri system or merit selection system, once that judge has served for a couple of years, maybe as few as two, maybe as many as four or five, there's a, what's called a retention election. What's the, what, this is what these look like. So on the next ballot, the voters of that state, if it's a supreme or statewide appellate court seat, or the district or the county, if it's a trial judge or regional appellate seat, they'll be asked a question. Shall Bill Smith be retained as judge of the 13th district court for the next six years, or eight years, or 10 years, or four, however long the term is, right? If the majority of the voters say yes, then Judge Bill Smith stays judge for the next four, six, eight, ten years, whatever it is, right? If the majority of the voters say no, then there's an opening. And then the Judicial Nominating Commission starts the process all over again. Now, the reality is, in about 99% of these retention elections, the yes vote prevails, prevails by a huge margin. Over the last 30 years or so, there have been less than a dozen judges nationwide losing retention elections. There were a couple of prominent cases that I can point to in the late 1980s. I remember this one from when I was in high school. Um, even though I didn't live in California, it made national news. Uh, uh, two California State Supreme Court justices had ruled the death penalty was unconstitutional. A victim rights group targeted them for defeat at the next election, and they both lost the retention elections. And then more recently, in 2010, there were three state Supreme Court justices in Iowa who were not retained because the previous year they had ruled that Iowans had a constitutional right to same-sex marriage. And so the folks who were opposed to same-sex marriage targeted these three justices for defeat. Again, extremely rare. And the fact that I can give you actual specific examples tells you how rare this is. One final word about judicial nominating commissions. Um, as, as I mentioned above, some states use these things to fill vacancies but then there's not a retention election. It's not some straight yes or no vote with only the incumbent's name on the ballot. In both of our local states, both North Dakota and Minnesota, these are used when a judge decides to retire, perhaps before his or her term is up. And that's usually when it happens, um, is they retire mid-term. They, they retire mid -term. So 
when that does happen, uh, the governor gets to make an appointment, but then when the term does expire, the new judge has to run for election, and it's possible that an opponent may file to run against them. This actually has happened in our area twice uh, in 2018. Judge Lucinda Jessen, who had been nominated by the Commission on Judicial Selection and then was appointed by Governor Dayton to the State Court of Appeals in 2016, she had to run for election in 2018 and then had an opponent file against her. Uh, North, uh, Supreme Court Justice Lisa Fairman-Kevers in North Dakota had gone through a similar process in 2014. Um, the Judicial Nominating Commission there had sent her name to Governor Dalrymple. He appointed her. And then in 2018, when her term was up, she also drew an opponent. Now, both incumbents in both states, both both Judge Jessen and uh, Justice McEvers, um, they, they both won pretty easily. Uh, by contrast, in 2016, when Justice Sandstrom in North Dakota retired, he did so right at the end of the 10-year term. So the Judicial Nominating Commission, they didn't do anything. They didn't have to do anything because he waited until the end of his 10-year term. It's an open seat. There's going to be an election. So two attorneys, one who was a sitting trial court judge, just remember they're called district courts in North Dakota. So there was a guy who was a sitting district court judge. He filed a run and then a private practice lawyer from Bismarck. They both filed a run. And so they faced off in the 2016 general election. The district court judge, who's now Justice Gerald Tufte, he won. So there are instances where states are using combinations of regular elections, but they also use these these nominating committees or selection commissions to fill seats temporarily. That's not the same thing as the Missouri, as the pure Missouri system or merit selection system because they use these yes-no retention elections. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Johnson from M State Moorhead. This is State and Local Politics. Have a great day.